What's up, everyone, and welcome to the eighth. I believe this is the eighth. We'll say it's the eighth. The eighth episode of the Joshua Perry Show. Of course, I am your host, former Buckeye captain, national champ, former NFL player and current Big Ten Network and 97.1 The Fan Analyst, Joshua Perry. This podcast is the podcast where we talk about sports, life, and everything else. We're broadcasting on the Zedian Network. Follow at Zedian Network on Twitter for big-time podcasts and absolutely great content. I have some really, really big news for everybody listening right now. We have partnered with Manscaped. Everyone's got the story from when you cut your balls from trying to trim. Well, that problem is gone thanks to Manscaped. They have redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. From the LED light to 90 minute battery, to the cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. This is the premium, that's right, I said premium electric trimmer. And I'm going to save you guys a little bit of money. Get 20% off and free shipping if you use the code OSU20 at manscaped.com. Make your testies their besties. Trust me folks, it's legit. I got my little setup right here, got my trimmer, got all kinds of other great stuff. Take a look for the folks on YouTube. You're gonna wanna buy this one. Your balls will thank you. All right, folks, we have a huge show coming up. I'm flying solo dolo today, uh, but I'll be covering a breadth of topics. We have some college football to unpack from the weekend, including Florida, Bama, and Georgia looking like the class of the SEC and really college football right now with the performances that they had. We have some big 12 mess that we have to examine. Little bit of Pac-12 trying to do something different in 2020. And I'll apologize to Browns fans briefly. And then I want to talk politics with y'all, specifically the debates and the notion of separating someone from their vote. And then finally, I'll do my word of the week this week, which is wisdom. Uh, before we jump into college football, though, I want to talk about one thing real quick. Uh, I've been doing color commentary for radio broadcasts in Central Ohio football. It's been a ton of fun. Uh, I've gotten to learn a new skill during this pandemic because I've never done this before. Um, and I'm covering Central Ohio High School football, which is what I played at Olin Tangy High School. A lot of schools I'm very familiar with. I actually did a game at my former high school, which was really cool a couple of weeks ago. So really enjoying that. Um, but I wanted to talk about kind of the, the makeup of this, this high school football thing. See, most of these players are all like try-hard kind of guys. Most of them aren't super fast. They're not really explosive. Most of them aren't very big. Very once in a while, you come across that kid where you're like, man, this guy is really good. And for the first time, uh, over the course of actually six weeks, I saw that guy uh, at Westerville Central. He was their quarterback. He was absolutely phenomenal. Dude, six foot six, 230 pounds. Had fantastic feet. Um, and he's just a really big physical specimen. He played well mechanically. He had really nice touch on the short pass, but he had a, a really good hose of an arm on the long ball. It was, it was awesome. It was wild to watch. I really enjoyed it. Easily the most impressive kid I've watched all year. This guy's got offers from some of the Ivy League schools. He's going to be a very good college football player. Um, and I was going on and on and on. And that's how I was on Friday during the broadcast. I was literally going on and on and on about this kid. I'm like, man, this kid is really good. I'm so impressed. This kid is really good. I'm so impressed. And the only reason I actually bring that up is I am totally nerding out over high school football kids at this point. And that's what happens when we don't have 
Big Ten college football uh, for me to cover and for everybody else to watch. So that's where I'm at in life. I just wanted to share that with you. High school football, folks, is amazing, but I am ready to watch some Big Ten football this fall. Uh, let me jump into some of this college football. Um, we had some really interesting games in the Big 12. We had some upsets that were very alarming, and I think they were alarming to the overall state of the Big 12. First off, Texas falls to TCU. Uh, Texas had a close call with Texas Tech. I've been saying it. I said it last year when they finished 8-5 and five and still finished in the top 25. I said it this year with all these teams not playing and they were ranked in the top 10. Texas, indeed, not back. They have never been back. They're not going to be back anytime soon. This is evidence. Sam Ellinger was 17 of 36, which is under 50%. Target for quarterbacks, you want them in that 60-plus range. 65% is a fantastic game. He was under 50 uh, 236 yards, four touchdowns, which is really good on the stat line, but an interception. Uh, they rushed for 142 yards, which is a very pedestrian day. Tom Herman's teams, which very much like Urban Meyer, the guy I played for, um, they like to be in that 250 passing, 250 rushing range, and they missed some mark on both of them. Uh, the other part and the bigger issue, and it's, a, it's an issue throughout that conference, it is absolutely a problem for them is the defense couldn't tackle a damn thing but air. I, they gave up a ton of explosive plays, and I know that's what people are going to harp on is, you know, the, the passes that go over their heads, the runs that break through the middle of the defense. But it's really not that that killed them. Those plays hurt you, but they don't necessarily kill you. What killed them is that they gave up a lot of 10-yard plays that really should have been two-yard plays, but they don't know how to tackle. And their defensive coordinator right now is Chris Ash. He was Ohio State's defensive coordinator while I was there, 2014 National Championship, 2015. I think he left in 16, went to Rutgers, um, obviously fizzled out there. It's a tough place to win games and was hired by Tom Herman to come in and change the landscape of that defense. And so far, he struggled to do so. And I know it's probably bothering the hell out of him, the fact that those guys can't tackle because when he came in for us, the first thing that we worked on was over cover four. That was our base defense quarters, hard match, aggressive, load up the box in the run game, very solid defense. The second thing we worked on was form tackling. Every day we did some, some form of a tackle drill. Every day we had pads on and it was about tackling safely, but also having a sure form tackle. And so the fact that those guys are struggling with that fundamental, I know is killing him. They gave up 231 passing and 226 rushing to TCU. That's absolutely not in the plan to win. Uh, but the thing that really stands out is the amount of penalties. And it was on both sides. But Texas had some egregious penalties. And, and uh, I think the officials were a little bit overkill. But the fact of the matter is you, you have to overcome that. And they absolutely didn't. They had procedure penalties on offense, which is a shame. Um, due to a lack of practice time, I might give them a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. But it's, it's even tough to get over that. And then they had penalties on special teams, which is mind-boggling. The other thing they had was a fumble in a key scenario. And to me, fumbles are those plays um, that are uh, – it comes down to coaching, essentially, is you can coach a player not to be a fumbler. And the fact that you fumble in a key situation goes back to the fact that I don't think they rep that skill enough. So it's going to be tough for them. We'll talk about what's next coming up in a little bit because we have to address Oklahoma now. Oklahoma loses to Iowa State 37-30. to 30. They are unranked now. They have started 0-2 in the Big 12. This is the first 0-2 start in the Big 12 conference for Oklahoma since 1998. And if you want some context to that, their starting quarterback, Spencer Rattler, was born in 2000. 
So he wasn't even alive the last time they had such a poor start in their conference slate. Rattler absolutely was not terrible. He's 25-36, 300 yards, two touchdowns, pick. Not a bad stat line, but he didn't get it done in crunch time. I want to I go through this because I think it's, it, it's stark when I lay it out here. Uh, there were pretty even Oklahoma and Iowa State in most categories. They were in total yards, three yards apart. I think it was 417 to 414. Uh, they were one first down apart from each other. They both had nine penalties. OU was nine for 93 yards. Iowa State was nine for 90 yards, I believe. So it wasn't like it was some sort of mess statistically. Oklahoma got blown out the water. They played an awful game. Really wasn't any of that. It was the fact of the matter that their quarterback was not clutch when it came time to be clutch. And we've seen Baker Mayfield, one of the most confident quarterbacks out there, clutch absolutely when he needs to be clutch. We've seen Kyler Murray go out there, same thing, clutch when he needs to be clutch. Jalen Hurts went out there, did the same thing for him. That man won games when he was tasked in winning games. And Spencer Rattler has not been able to do that yet. And so for him as a quarterback, a leader of a team, a guy who's supposed to be confident, pound his chest, we need to see him develop that clutch, whatever it is. Some people say it can't be developed. I think you can, you can develop it. That clutch gene, that clutch skill where he comes out there, it's the final drive. He's got to lead his team down the field, and he makes all the plays he needs to. We got the Red River Showdown next week. That's the rivalry game, Texas-Oklahoma. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens here. I've got a hunch that Oklahoma is not going to go 0-3 to start off in the conference. I don't believe that they'll do that. I know they're unranked. Texas might be favored. I don't know what the lines are. I don't, I don't get into all the betting here. The reality of the situation, it's hard for me to believe that Lincoln Riley is going to let that happen with this team. I think Tom Herman is in a very vulnerable, very tenuous place. He had that close call against Texas Tech. Uh, he had this, this loss that he sustained against TCU. And the fact of the matter is, Lincoln Riley is in a safer position in terms of job security. He can go out here and he can be a little bit more free because he knows that he's not getting ready to get fired. Tom Herman got rid of his offensive coordinator last year and his defensive coordinator last year. I think it was Todd Orlando coordinating the defense, and he had Tim Beck, who was at Ohio State when I was there in 2015, who was coordinating his offense. I don't know where Orlando is at right now. Um, I know Tim Beck is at North Carolina State, and he's doing a great job there. Anytime a head coach fires both of their coordinators on either side of the ball, it means that they're, they're scrapping everything they're doing, and they're starting fresh. And it means that their AD told them, if something doesn't change this year, you're going to be the next one. So Tom Herman's going to be coaching tight. I think Lincoln Riley's going to have a little bit more freedom to press reset with this team. I think they come out with the victory. I want to talk Pac-12 just a hot second. The schedule came out. Don't really give a damn about what's going on out there. Don't know how much Pac-12 football I'm really going to watch. One thing that was unique, though, is they are doing the 9 a.m. Pacific kickoff this year, trying something a little bit different so they can get in that noon primetime spot with Fox. I think it was a great move for them, exposure-wise, for that conference. It's going to help them recruit. I know it's going to suck for the players. Those cats are going to be up at, like, you know, 4.35 o'clock in the morning, you know, eating breakfast, doing walkthroughs and everything else. But just in terms of making sure that folks can watch them, we're so used to Pac-12 after dark. And by the time you get there, you're so tuckered out from watching a primetime matchup at the noon slot, the SEC putting a great matchup in that 3.30 CBS spot, and then ESPN and ABC doing their thing in that, that 7, 30, 8 o'clock primetime slot, that by time it's 11 o'clock over here on the East Coast, we ain't trying to watch no more ball. We're, we're just ready to go to sleep. And so for them to, to have their 
their spotlight game being played in that noon window where we've seen those big noon fantastic matchups. I think it works very well for them. Want to transition into the SEC. Got to talk Bama, Georgia, Florida. They all look great. Bama, to me, most solid of them all. Don't have to say a ton about it. Nick Saban knows exactly what the hell they're doing. People had a lot of questions about that defense. Would they be there? They're looking just fine. That was no question to me the way that Saban is intently focused on getting those guys specifically defensively ready. Did not think it was going to be a problem. Sarkeesian's got that offense looking really, really good. Mac Jones, those are very pretty football. Those guys, to me, they're the most solid, maybe not the most exciting, maybe not the most explosive, but the most solid out of the group in terms of what they'll be able to do. And it's not to say they're not explosive because that offense can take off at any moment. The receivers that they got, it's ridiculous. Jones, like I said, doing a great job. Florida is the one to watch for me coming out of the uh, SEC there. They look like they're on a mission right now. Defense really impressed me this week, uh, specifically considering the fact that they gave up a ton of points to Ole Miss. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it was 35 points they gave up to Ole Miss, and people were asking questions. Hey, you know, is this defense not as far along as we had imagined? Now, they were pretty damn good. Um, Trask also looks like one of the top QBs in all the land, um, and it's a lot to say for him come a long way in his career. He's the man now, and he's embracing that. Uh, but he also should be one of the top quarterbacks, considering the targets that he has. Tony, one of the guys that Florida has playing receiver, dude is explosive. Absolutely ridiculous. Very sure-handed guy. Uh, makes the offense open up a lot more. But Kyle Pitts, the big old tight end who can split out as a receiver, can't cover him with a corner, can't cover him with a safety, definitely can't cover him with a linebacker. He is a cheat code. And I'm, I'm sitting here asking this a little bit facetiously, but I would love to talk to a college football defensive coordinator and ask him, how would you game plan? How would you defend Kyle Pitts? Because to me, it seems like mission impossible to roll out a game plan where you can successfully cover a guy like him. So they're the team to look out for. I think they're poised right now. Again, like I said, I think the way that the intent that they have when they're playing, it looks like they're on a mission. But Georgia, Georgia made a statement. They absolutely did. Week one against Arkansas, they had some questions to answer to. That game was not very clean in the first half. It was bad, actually. They laid an egg against Arkansas for one half. Looked really good in the second half of the game. But people don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about how bad they looked in the first half. And I think it's fair to do that because Georgia should not have looked as bad as they did. Their offensive line looked average. And that wasn't necessarily just the first half of that game. I think they looked very suspect that whole game. Um, but the reality of the situation is Dwan Mathis was not good. Um, started off that game, was very bad. They ended up putting Stetson Bennett in the game. And that is a definite SEC quarterback name, Stetson Bennett. Um, he picked things up, had a big turnaround in game two for sure. Bennett threw for 240 and a touchdown. It's not necessarily the most outstanding stat line ever. He did a very good job, though, pushing the ball down the field. This is where they got it. They ran for about 240 yards, absolutely dominated in the trenches. Not only offensively in the trenches, where you see an improvement from 121 rush yards in game one to 240 rush yards double in game two, but it was the trenches on defense as well. They absolutely dominated Bo Nix. Um, he was uncomfortable the whole game through for about a buck 77. Just didn't feel comfortable standing in that pocket. And he's a, he's a kid with happy feet. 
uh, just mechanically as a quarterback, he, he is too quick a lot of times to evade the pocket. But Georgia absolutely forced that issue with him, making him uncomfortable and getting him off the spot. But here's the deal. Auburn ran for a miserable 39 yards. 39 yards. I could rush for 39 yards in a college football game. It's just not good. And so Georgia, to me, um, offensively, I think with the running game, the way that it was, um, and, a, and a passer who is not necessarily great, but he's going to move the ball for you, I think they're in good shape. But it's really that defense that kind of opens your eyes a little bit and it makes you ask, how good can this team really be? So just wanted to talk about that real quick. Uh, also wanted to get in another ad from my guy, Columbus-based Revolution Mortgage and Todd Pennington. They're a proud sponsor of the Joshua Perry Show. If you're looking to refinance into a competitive rate uh, or cash out for debt consolidation or home improvements with historically low rates, now is the time to call Todd Pennington. Todd should also be your go-to guy if you're looking to own a new home. Whether it's getting out of renting, moving up, or right-sizing, Todd with Revolution Mortgage has the solution for you. Contact Todd Pennington at 614-390-9520 or visit revolutionmortgage.com slash tpennington for more info. Revolution Mortgage is an equal housing lender and MLS ID 1686046. All right, folks, want to transition into uh, something a little bit more serious. It's political talk here. And I know folks want to avoid political conversations. I know this is probably the segment that's going to make people uncomfortable. It might be a little bit uncomfortable for me to have this conversation with the listeners here, uh, but I think we have to have it. And I'll start by saying that this isn't going to be a segment where um, I bash one candidate. Um, and I'll, I'll try to keep it as fair as possible. Um, and I also want to make mention that I'm, I'm an expert only in my own opinion, and that's it. So if you guys have a differing opinion, that's perfectly fine. You know, I'm, I, I am not an expert on your opinion. I'm only an expert in what I believe and what I see in my opinion. Um, but I think we all should be able to agree on this. That debate that we saw last week was a debacle. It was awful. From the jump, everything about it was embarrassing. Trump talking over Biden. He was talking over Wallace. There was a set of rules that was agreed to by both campaigns and the debate commission. And those went out the window so early and it just set the tone. And there was name calling by both candidates, which was, I guess, par for the course for one of them. The other one, it was a little bit surprising uh, that he let the frustration take him there. But that's where we were. It was two grown men in their 70s calling each other names uh, for the better part of an hour and a half while they were supposed to be talking about the issues that affect American people and why they should earn our vote, what, what they have done to earn our vote. You had Biden literally from the jump dodging questions. He dodged the first question he was asked. And it was really surprising to me. Um, and this is what politicians do. They talk around topics. They dodge. But as much preparation as poised as he was, and, and I think that he should have expected that question to come, the fact that he danced around it and didn't give a direct answer uh, was really telling. It was surprising about kind of his stance and, and the tenor of what that debate was going to be. Um, disappointed there. And then finally, I think probably the bigger moment and the biggest moment to me, it might not be to other people, was absolutely the biggest moment to me, was in um, trying to get a condemnation of white supremacy, which is um, 
a, a nasty pervasive ideal um, that, that upholds structures here in the United States and across the world that disadvantage certain groups of people and benefit other groups of people, whether they are willing participants or not. Trump would not condemn it, instead saying, stand back and stand by to the Proud Boys. Oof. And so we consume all of that, the talking over one another, the name calling, the dodging of questions, and then that to end the debate. And you have to consider this, that that debate did not happen in a vacuum. People watched on ABC, and CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, and C-SPAN, and wherever else you watch political coverage here in the United States. There were also folks, though, that watched throughout the world. It was broadcast on every major international news outlet for the world to consume. Think about that. Think about that. And the reality of the situation is nobody overseas was mourning what happened there. Because I felt like a, a part of, of my faith in the political system kind of crumbled a little bit deep within. I was like, what the hell did I just consume? That was, it was, it was a literal train wreck that I couldn't stop watching. And part of me was like, damn. And so I mourned a little bit over what I had consumed. This, a 26-year-old man did not think that I would be in this position watching that debate happen. But nobody else around the world was mourning. They were laughing. That was comedy to them. Think about that. The laughing stock of the world, I believe that's what we came out to be that day. What a shame. And so off of that, uh, obviously, um, it was divisive, uh, I guess to say the least. In, in this whole campaign, the last, the last uh, four years really, starting with the, the 2016 campaign up until now, has been very divisive. It's been a hard line that's been drawn by a lot of people um, in this election cycle particularly has caused people to choose sides more than they ever have before. For a lot of us, we've been able to compartmentalize. We've only, we've, we have not broken many of the bonds that we have with other people. There are some folks though, that haven't been able to maintain those relationships. They haven't been able to be civil. They haven't been able to have those conversations without taking offense to what the other person is saying or without feeling targeted about what the other person is saying or without having uh, such diametric opposition to somebody else's views that they can't be around them. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think being civil is a good thing. I also think that if somebody decides that they don't want to engage and they can't engage with somebody because of their viewpoint that's their own decision rather immature but you have to make those choices but i don't want this conversation about civility to lead to a level of irresponsibility and let me get into what i'm talking about there I was talking to one of my my friends about all the stuff that was going on um you know we're sharing some links back and forth and uh, we were having commentary about what we saw and, um, you know, how we digested it. And he sent me this post from his friend's Instagram story with a quote on it. It said, I'm way less concerned with who you vote for than I am with how you treat the people that vote differently than you. It's a hell of a quote. 
Uh, and I agree with that quote mostly. I, I think we should treat folks with respect. Like I said before, I think that we do need to have civility. Um, I think that you don't have to align 100% politically um, with other people. It's never going to happen. It doesn't have to happen. I think that you can continue to have meaningful relationships with people while you have opposition on um, on like real platform issues because that tends to happen in friendships. Um, but in saying that, I don't agree with the, I'm way less concerned with who you vote for part. I am 100% concerned with who people are voting for. I don't know why folks are saying that they're not that concerned. Um, whether it's a state race, whether it's a local race, whether it's a, a, a national race, um, it, it should concern folks who other people are voting for. I mean, the reality of the situation is you you go door knocking, canvassing, uh, you plant yard signs, you host campaign events, you 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 donate to campaigns because it matters who other people vote for. Um, and why it matters, because it's not to be in anybody's business, it's not to try to control people. It's the fact that who you vote for ultimately affects other people. And so to me, I think a healthy part of the political process is pressing people on who they're voting for and why they're voting for them. And like I said, it's not to change their mind, it's just to challenge their conviction in that person that they're voting for. And I'll put it like this, um, me as a black male, I feel like I have the right to, to press my friends or my acquaintances or whomever, um, people that, that I know and I have a relationship with, not just strangers on social media or whatever, like people I really know about why they, they're voting for Trump. Put it like this, as a black male, I think it's an issue that somebody has willingly and intentionally skirted condemning white supremacists. And I know people are like, oh, he did it in 2017 after Charlottesville. And the quote he said is neo-Nazis and white supremacists should be condemned. He did not say, I condemn neo-Nazis and white supremacists. And there is a difference in active voice versus passive voice. And the, the meaning of those two things are different. Is should be condemned says they should be condemned. Well, I condemn them, so they have been condemned. I condemn them versus they should be condemned are two different things. On the same tip though, if somebody, a friend of mine owns a business that would be materially affected by the tax environment that Joe Biden is proposing, if somebody who's a friend of mine has been affected by some of the unaffordable options under the Affordable Care Act, if a friend of mine is a religiously convicted person that doesn't agree with some of the values of my candidate's platform, then they should press me on why I feel comfortable voting for that candidate. And ultimately, it makes us think more critically about our political processes. And ultimately, it asks us the question, how convicted are you in that person that you wanna vote for? But the, the thing that I wanna avoid is people trying to hide behind their vote, where they know that their candidate's flawed, they know that their candidate's a bad person who's done bad things, and they try to say, well, well, you know, that's, that's just who I vote for, but that's not a reflection on me. And I tend to disagree. Who you vote for is a reflection on your values and your character. And so by saying, you know, it's not me, it is you. In a way, it is you. And in a way, that could affect somebody else 
adversely. And so we need to consider that as we go on. Again, not to change anybody's mind, but just to have a different paradigm about the way we think about politics. All right, so we're pulling up on the end of the podcast. My word of the week this week, great word is wisdom. Wisdom is defined as the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So experience, simply, time in the game, right? So as a, uh, I'm not an experienced media guy. Let me put it like that. I've been in media for, I guess, going on my third year, 2018, 2019, now it's 2020. Um, I'm not experienced based on time. I'm not experienced based off of repetition. That's another part of experience is how many repetitions you get in. Um, and so I seek wisdom in the real, in, in, excuse me, the media world um, by having mentors and by asking people and looking for feedback. Um, that, that helps heighten the experience. When you can't get the reps, how can you be critical of the reps you have gotten and, 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 and really pull out the value of the experience you do have to help enhance the experiences you will have. Knowledge, that comes down to not how much you know, but I think the willingness to learn and understand. Um, learning is not just what you can get from others, right? Because we've been told a million different things, but I was like most kids growing up, my learning process was not, hey, don't touch that stove. It was me touching the hot ass stove and burning my hand, uh, having to experience that pain and know not to touch it again. And so uh, I have that experience where the, I'm able to learn from others and I've been told, but I also have learned from my own mistakes. And I think that self-awareness is a big part of the wisdom, the, the willingness to learn and understand. Understanding is absolutely huge. Um, it's, it's being critical, right? I feel like a lot of times unwise people will talk to somebody and they will listen in order to respond to that person but not in order to understand that person's position, uh, where they're coming from, that person's condition. Um, and so as we, we, as we examine knowledge in terms of wisdom, there has to be a willingness to learn. There has to be a willingness to understand. Knowledge is just not what you know and how much you know. And then finally, the judgment aspect. It says the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So judgment essentially is decisions and choices. Wise people make good decisions, right? And when they make bad decisions, they learn from it. That's part of the experience, part of the knowledge. But they make good decisions. Wise people know that when the, the market, the stock market takes a dump, you don't pull all of your money out because that's when your losses materialize, right? Wise people make decisions to treat other people with respect. Wise people make decisions to prioritize things that are important, their family, their faith, their good friends. And then they divvy up their time among the other things that exist in their life, right? But it's, it comes down to a judgment call. Unwise people oftentimes will make the wrong judgment and they will do it repeatedly because they never learn either. And so I think this wisdom topic is, is really good because we're in a, a place where I think there's a, a wisdom void where I think that unwise people uh, have not sought the wise people who can impart wisdom and they do, not, they do not naturally own the qualities that would make them a wise person. Think about this, it takes wisdom to seek wisdom. If you have bad judgment, you're not gonna seek wisdom. If you are not willing to learn and understand, you're not gonna seek wisdom. 
unwise people don't have very much experience because they're not motivated to do anything. So again, it takes a certain level of wisdom, or I guess you have to have certain qualities pertaining to wisdom to seek wisdom. And the more wisdom you seek, the wiser you become. It's a little bit of a parable that I'm speaking here, but it's really important to understand. And I think as of right now, we need to take a step back and see what we can do. Number one, if you're a person who is wise to impart wisdom. And number two, if you're an unwise person, how to become a wise person. Um, so I just wanted to end with that wisdom as the word of the week. That does it folks. I want to thank my all-star producer, Andrew Zolden, one of the best in the business, always accommodating me and my crazy whimsical schedule to produce this awesome show. For the Zedia Network, I am Joshua Perry, and this is The Joshua Perry Show. <laughs>